0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.
1: You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast was created for entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, digital marketing tips, personal development resources, and a nice dose of comic relief. Now for your host, Jason Wright.
0: What is happening, everybody? Jason Wright here, bringing you episode number 101. Finally, all up in that three-digit number. Good stuff. Uh, Before we get into the show today, we've got a a great guest as usual, but before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about Something I've been thinking of quite heavily here lately, and it's, what's the purpose of your business? And what I'm talking about today is kind of like, what's the deep goal? Is it just to make money? For some people, that's as deep as it ever goes. I know for me that I've pursued that before, that I've said, you know what, it's all about the money. And for me, that doesn't work well. That ends up with me broke, unfulfilled, my wife pissed off people laughing at me. I, I be honest, I could care less if people laugh at me. I don't care at all about that. But anyway, it doesn't end in a place where I want it to end. So for me, it's got to be deeper than that. For me, I think the thing I identify with the most is legacy. And that's probably the biggest goal there is. So when I'm gone, I want the world to know I was here. And that can't be about what I do. It can't be about me. It's got to be what I do for other people how I leverage a brand and leverage resources to help other people become the best versions of themselves. So think about that. What are you trying to do? Is it all about the money for you or are you seeking something greater? It's an interesting thing to think about because if you don't ever think about it one day in your business, assuming you survive that two-year mark, you're going to say, what am I doing? What am I pursuing? What am, where am I trying to go? So super important It's been kind of heavy on my mind lately. Uh, I'm doing this intro literally in the middle of the night. haven't done one of these in a long time, so I said, you know what? I want to see uh, see if I can keep it together (laughs) mentally to get through this. So, so far, so good. Um, Like I mentioned last week, uh, my first book is now out. Again, that's called The Backwards Route to Forward Progress. I highly recommend you at least check it out, and you can do so at thebackwardsroutebook.com. So today we've got a great guest, Diane Gardner's our guest. Um, We will check out the conversation that we shared in a moment, and I really want you to think about it, you know, uh, I really want you to think about what I just said and listen to Diane's story and kind of think about how this may apply for her as well, but more importantly when you walk away from this episode, think about you. What are you trying to accomplish from a high-level, long-term, big picture with your business? Here we go. What is happening, everybody? I've got another exciting guest with me this week. I've got Diane Gardner. Let me tell you what I know about Diane. She is a best-selling author several times over. She is a certified tax coach and enrolled agent, and she is a quilly Award recipient. Diane, welcome to the podcast.
1: Jason, thank you so much for having me on your program today.
0: No problem at all. So I would love to hear your story and hear how entrepreneurship began for you.
1: Wow, that's been a long time ago. I'm kind of an oldie moldy here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my my second business, I've been in business uh, for 22 years, and my first business was 13 years. So I'm totally unemployable. Um, I would make a terrible, terrible employee because entrepreneur is in my blood. So I love that. I Yeah, (laughs) I got started in business number two, um, which is an accounting practice, but it's not your normal everyday uh, run of the mill accounting firm. I had had a firm down in California. We had a major earthquake down there, which leveled over half of our town. And consequently, just about put me out of business, me and a whole bunch of other people because the cash dried up so badly. And so I ended up selling out to another accountant and I came home to Idaho. And so now I get to live and play and work in a beautiful northern Idaho. And at that point in time, my whole goal was to be able to be a stay-at-home mom with my daughter, who was only four at the time. And So I kept my my business very small for many years. And then I had one of those out of your control life changes that forced me to become the sole breadwinner for the family. And so I had to get serious and take this business into town and rent an office and start growing it. And so we haven't looked back ever since then.
0: I love that. That's great. Yeah. Well, just imagine if tomorrow you had to go into like a, an eight to five in cubicles, would you go absolutely insane?
1: Oh, you bet. In the first five minutes.
0: <laughs> I love that. I, I feel that way a lot as as well. I just I make a terrible employee. So um, it's just nice to hear other people say that. That's why I know you've got it bad for entrepreneurship, so that's good. <laughs> what are some of the most common tax mistakes that you see startups make?
1: Probably the very most common is when they first start up in business, they don't really know, well, they don't know what they don't know, number one, which means that they don't even realize that they need to put some thought into the entity type that they're going to start up with. Most startups start up as a sole proprietorship. Just because if you don't do anything, that's what you end up being. And that entity can be great entity type for certain kinds of businesses, but if there's any liability attached to your business or the potential for liability, you could find yourself in a world of hurt if something goes south on you. And then over and above that, once that startup starts making some money and profits are starting to roll through that business then that sole proprietorship entity type can become very expensive because of the self-employment tax, which is 15.3% tax based on the net profit of the business. So we watch people in a very fast growth mode. From one year, they're fine, and the next year, they're in major pain. And it, a lot of it has to do with that entity type. So that's probably the biggest one I see in a startup.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you uh, fairly comfortable with the LLC for startups as well?
1: I am. I don't see very many uh, startups starting that way, though. Mm -hmm. I see them either starting as a sole proprietor or their friend, their barber, their hairdresser, their kid's baseball coach. Somebody told them they should become an S-corp. And so they hop right in and become a corporation. But I, I don't see a lot of them starting as an LLC. I see some, but not very many. And that is my favorite entity as an LLC. Yeah,
0: that's what my wife and I, are, we're a 50-50 partnership LLC. And I actually, when I had my first business as a teenager, I actually... Uh, I was set up as a as an S corp by my stepdad. He was a lawyer, and I, I don't know why he set me up in that entity. But um, <laughs> when I started setting up businesses myself later, I always went with the LLC. It's super easy to do mm-hmm. in Indiana, and it seems to uh, serve its purpose well, you know.
1: Right. It, and then for those who aren't familiar with an LLC, that is a limited liability company. And one of the best pieces about a limited liability company is it offers you some protection. So if something goes south and you get sued in your business with a limited liability company, if you've dotted your I's and you've crossed your T's, in theory, you've built a fence around that business and You should be able to protect your personal assets from your business assets and keep them separate so that if there was a lawsuit, it only affects that business. And so that is the amount that you can lose. And they can't reach through and grab your home and any toys or anything like that that you might have, bank accounts, um, investments, those kinds of things. And so that is why it is one of my most favorite entity types. Um, Other perks are that it can act like a sole proprietorship. If it's a single member LLC, it can act like a general partner. If it's a multi-member LLC, which would be like you and your wife, it can act like an S corporation or it can act like a C corporation. So it gives me a lot of flexibility with a planning Mm -hmm. on and coming up with what strategy or what entity type would work best for this business at this stage in its life.
0: Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier on that you were a little bit different than a lot of professionals kind of in your field. What makes you different? You got me curious.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, um, not too many entrepreneurial accountants out there. Most of them are, are very good at recording history and they'll tell you what you've done for the last, you know, three, four, five years or whatever, but when you have an entrepreneurial accountant who's working with a tax planning focus, that puts me out there as a completely different from your average tax tax accountant or accountant or tax preparer or anybody in that you know, kind of that general range of accountants. And the, the biggest thing is that I'm looking for ways to set up my clients so that they pay the least amount of income tax they can legally pay through the use of proactive tax planning. So we'll we'll meet with that client, we'll prepare this plan that will last them for the next maybe three to five years, depending on how quickly their business is growing, and then meet with them and review that plan periodically throughout the year, help them with whatever other services they need, whether it be bookkeeping or payroll or income tax prep or whatever, to help make that plan happen. And then actually, for most of them, almost implement most all of the plan on their behalf because they're busy out there running their businesses and they need somebody to make sure that every item on that checklist got taken care of.
0: I would imagine that keeps you in very high demand.
1: It does. We have, we generally have a nice little waiting list of people wanting to work with us. Mm-hmm. And which is a really nice position to be in.
0: Well, oh, man, that's a dream position. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a, a service or a course or coaching, whatever the case may be. If you can get built up a wait list, man, the, I mean, you are sitting pretty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right. very nice. Right. Now, how long have you had a wait list? Is that something that's happened as soon as you scaled, or did it you get your reputation out there a little bit and then it built up to that?
1: It has built up to that, and the wait list has pretty well happened this year. Mm-hmm. We have been working in, in this field for a few years, and it and over the first couple years, I was doing tax planning. I was busy writing the books and trying to get noticed because it's hard to get noticed, uh, you know, when you're when you're kind of come from being a nobody. You've got to become a little bit of a celebrity and an authority on that topic, mm-hmm. and so jumped in and started writing books, which took me a, a couple years for that to happen, and then from there, that gave me a reason to start getting interviewed gave me a reason to become somebody that some that people would reach out to and ask me to come speak at their event or hop on a webinar for their coaching program or those types of things and share this information, which is how to pay the least amount of tax you can legally pay. And so that that is a very favorable audience out there. There's a lot of businesses who are growing quickly and ending up with really high profits at the end of the year that are a little bit of a shocker for them because they weren't expecting that to happen, uh, you know, a year ago when they met with their accountant. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a nice position to play because I, I always say I get to be a tax superhero.
0: Absolutely. Instead of
1: the bearer of bad news. So instead of telling you, Jason, oh, by the way, you owe $30,000 in income tax. I get to say to you, Jason, as a result of our tax planning, you saved $30,000 this year in income tax.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can see how uh, you'd definitely be a, a lot of people's best friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love those conversations. Yes. And we always have a goal for what you're going to do with your tax savings. I have one client who bought a commercial building and has paid for it almost 100% courtesy of Uncle Sam, basically, because he was, he was overpaying his taxes to the tune of about thirty dollars to $33,000 a year. Wow. So over the last several years, we just keep chipping away at what he paid for that building, and we're just about there. For basically paying for that building through his tax savings.
0: Very nice. So, yeah, so, I love
1: it when we can set goals like that.
0: So you've authored—is seven books correct?
1: I think I actually have eight or nine out now.
0: Wow. I didn't they're mean to all, shortchange you.
1: Yeah, no, they're not all on my website. I've I've gotten involved in some um, multi-author books that were. Um. Kind of with charitable reasons, jumping in and helping. We've done one that benefited Habitat, and so I was happy to contribute a chapter to that book, and all the proceeds went to that particular um, uh, uh, their project that they were working on at the time. You know, so we've we count some of those books. Like the, the count is is a little bit higher than what you see out like on my website.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you do you still have more books in you, Diane? I hope so. <laughs> yeah,
1: I hope so. I've been so busy this year, I have not stopped to do any more. But I do want to get out there and kind of dust off a couple of them, get some more current figures and facts and stuff into them, and do a second edition or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I really enjoy doing that side of things, and it was something that was terrifying to me when my the first well the very first time my business coach came to me and said you need to write a book, and I'm like you're crazy. I'm an accountant. I don't do words. I do numbers. (laughs) And with a little bit of gentle nudging, it happened. And then it started happening more and more because I need, I felt like I needed more than one to get to that authority position. One just wasn't getting me the traction I needed. Mm -hmm. And so got busy and went to town for about a couple different, well, for about two years, I was cranking them out pretty quickly to try to get enough of them out there.
0: I love that. Uh, Beautiful things come when you step out of that comfort zone, don't they?
1: Oh, yes, they do. But boy, it was sure scary taking that first step.
0: I know. <laughs> so do you work primarily uh, with other businesses or do you work with, uh, you know, I guess homeowners and private people as well?
1: Primarily with business owners clear across the U.S. We've got clients all the way from Rhode Island to Hawaii. There and you not go. in every single state, but in most states.
0: Technology's so- nice, isn't it?
1: It is. And what's great, too, is when I have the reason to go to a conference in a different state, I'm always looking, do I have a client anywhere within a general radius? And if so, I'll pop in and see them. And they get all excited because here I'm coming clear from Idaho to go visit them. Mm -hmm.
0: And that's a tax write-off, right?
1: You bet it is.
0: (laughs) So how early on in the, I guess we'll call it the money-making process, uh, should somebody hire somebody like you? I mean, is it right away? Is it sooner the better? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I say they should hook up with a good accountant right away so that you can make sure that you get a nice set of books put together and that you've got some control over their finances and that type of thing. As far as moving into the tax planning arena, as soon as the profits starting start flowing, we should have that initial conversation. Um, generally, if somebody is operating like a sole proprietorship type or single member LLC type of a entity, when they start hitting about $80,000 in net profit, from that point on is where the magic and tax planning can start happening. Under that, it's a little bit hard to make things work, uh, to pencil them out the numbers and give you the, the good enough rate of return on your investment. But um, I see all the time, you know, sole proprietorships with $125,000, $150,000 net profit. Because they had a really good year, and I about gasp when I see that, because I could have saved them a ton of money on those taxes.
0: You know, what's funny is uh, I'm listening to you talking, kind of thinking back, and when I used to, so my first, I guess, major business I had, I was uh, just out of high school, going into college, and started mowing lawns, and it built up a nice landscaping business over about seven years. And I can still remember, and I think this guy still does this, but I can still remember um, a friend of mine, his, his, uh his father cut grass too. And I can remember us talking one time about taxes <laughs> and we had a really interesting conversation. He's like, so do you, uh, do you pay taxes? I'm like, what do you mean? Do I pay taxes? Of course. What, don't you? And he just, he never really answered the question. He just kind of stared off the space and I was like, <laughs> oh my. So I said, I, I would, uh, I think it's better safe than sorry, but Um, so I I don't quite know what was happening there, but it was kind of a strange conversation. And then, uh, you know, I've met other people who've been in business for themselves for a long time and, you know, man, some people just are unwilling to do the right thing with that stuff. And it comes back around and gets them eventually. And it's bad news.
1: It is very bad news about once a year. I will get somebody who will contact me that the IRS has grabbed money out of their bank account or their state has grabbed a chunk of money out of their bank account, and they're in a panic mode when they come flying in the door of my business, and they expect me to drop everything that I'm doing and do five or six years or seven or eight years worth of tax returns for them. And you're kind of looking at that going like, your procrastination doesn't constitute an emergency in my book
0: you tell them about the wait list then?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, usually we quote them a a fairly high retainer up front. If you want me to drop everything and work on these tax returns, this is what it's going to cost you up front in cash. And that either simmers them down or they actually come up with the money and we'll go ahead and start working on it.
0: There you go. um, I love that, man. I love (laughs) that. What are three helpful tips that you would offer to to startups to help us save money kind of in those early years?
1: Well, very first tip I would say is make sure you have a separate business bank account. Do not commingle your business and personal funds. Deposit all the business income into that business account. Pay all your business expenses out of the business account. If you pay something personally, reimburse yourself from the business, but have receipts to back it up. Because when you do it that way, you are making sure that you're gathering all the the deductions that you should be getting. When I have people who come into my office and they've got this commingled mess, they miss a ton of deductions just because it's such a mess. So if you'll at least keep it all wrapped into one business account, maybe one credit card, even if you can't get a business card because you haven't been in business long enough, take one personal credit card and just run only business on it. Don't commingle. Don't mix things up because that is one of the quickest way of losing deductions just because you can't find them because it's a mess. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say another tip would be don't do it yourself find a good accountant to work with, somebody who will help you do your tax returns. I can't count the number of returns I amend every single year where people have tried to do it themselves. And when I sit down with them and I'm talking tax planning with them and start going over the various things that are deductible, they look at me like, oh no, because they didn't realize what was deductible because they're operating in the, I don't know that I don't know world and missed all kinds of things that were basically deductible for that business because they, I'm going to say they were being cheap or they couldn't afford it or whatever and thought they could just do it themselves. Use a professional, somebody who does this stuff all the time so they can make sure that you're getting all the deductions that that you've actually incurred on your business. And then the number three tip would be trying to think of something else quick and easy for a new business. Um, Don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone. So many people jump into business because they're good at whatever it is that they're doing, not realizing that when you jump into business, now you have to know how to run a business. So get the education and stuff that you need. It is tax deductible for the most part, depending what you're doing. Uh, So it's definitely not an area that you want to shortchange yourself in. Surround yourself with other successful business people. And that will help you. It not only increase your profits, but it'll help you learn the things that are deductible. Um, I also, I always offer a copy of my book, the "Stop Overpaying Your Taxes" book. We, I devote a whole chapter, chapter five, to just lists of things that are, dedu- that are deductible for an average business. And then I've got quite a few different industries listed in there as well. And it's just, you know, learn the stuff that is deductible. Learn how to make the tax law work for you by asking questions, surrounding yourself with other successful business people and take advantage of the way our tax system is laid out so that we can write off all these types of things in our businesses.
0: So if I'm using like QuickBooks right now and I'm searching for a tax professional, what frequency should I be meeting with this person? What should I expect in that regard?
1: When I come up with a new client, let's say this is not somebody who's coming in for a tax plan, just a new client that we've come up with, I like to at least meet with them a couple times a year, preferably in the maybe early summer and then a little bit closer into the fall, and get a good feel for what's going on with their business, whether we're meeting in person or virtually. Um, Most of us will have you send in a QuickBooks Backup. And we just start printing off reports and taking a look at things coming up with where we think you're going to end up for the, for the end of the year, and then coming up with ideas and ways of things that you can do between now and the end of the year uh, to make sure that you're taking advantage of, of various deductions.
0: Very nice. All right. I've got an interesting one for you. So of all your books you've written, what's your personal favorite and, you know, the favorite or which one you think is the best and why?
1: Stop Overpaying Your Taxes. Uh, It's 11 Ways Entrepreneurs Overpay and How to Stop It Now. And I like that one the best because I was challenged to come up with real questions, real scenarios that I find myself in on a regular basis. So that one is actual case studies from my own clients. I've changed their names and their industries to protect their uh, confidentiality of their of their business and that type of thing. But they're real conversations that I have with real people. And that one was a lot of fun because I just kind of opened some of the doors in my file cabinet and started looking at different ones and remembering the conversations that I had had with them. And had a, a real – it was a fun book to write mm-hmm. because of, of just – I could see the people's faces and names and stuff as I was – Writing the chapter about whatever their their topic was that we had talked about, so that is probably my my favorite of all my books.
0: And what's neat about that, I mean, you you can't replace you know actual experience. I mean, it's it's so much easier to just recall something than to to you know fictionalize something. At least for me, you know, I, I kind of write mm-hmm. that uh that motivational self help slash experiences from my own entrepreneurship. But if I tried to write a fiction book, I think I would struggle. It's not really how I'm wired. So. It's really nice when you can pull from your own experience. It's always entertaining because you can't make that stuff up, you know?
1: Right. And different ones that have read that book said it was such an easy read because it was real conversations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a textbook type book where some of my other books, they're nice and quick and short and easy reads, but they are not really a textbook, but they're more educational and you can tell that they're more educational. Mm -hmm. These flow more as a conversation like what you and I are having now. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a nice book. And, and it's not like a fiction book where you have to read the whole book to know how the story's going to end. Each chapter stands alone because it is a particular topic that we were you know, having a discussion about. So somebody doesn't have to read the whole book. They can just pop in and grab the chapters that are most important to them. And I know that chapter five, the one with all those lists of deductions is a very uh, important chapter in a lot of people's hands because I you know, hand out that book so, so much um, after we've had conversations and and they start asking questions about what types of things are deductible.
0: Well, it's really nice about the way you laid out those chapters, making them all standalone. You can uh, speak, you know, do speaking engagements on each separate chapter if you want to or need to as well.
1: Right. Yes. And we've done a lot of blog posts and various things out of those chapters. And um, we have little tax tips that we send out every Tuesday. And a lot of that stuff comes out of these books. And, So it makes it nice for other stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Repurposing content is such an efficient way to use content marketing. You know, and it helps people. Some people, you may reach them in a blog post, but never reach them in a full book or vice versa. So very wise. And I like what you said about the book was written, you know, conversationally. I mean, it's, it's nothing new, but storytelling, any way you can use it, is one of the quickest and easiest ways to get people to drop their guard and kind of let you in. You know what I mean?
1: You bet. And I made sure that prior to that book going to print that I passed it into the hands of several people in my circle that are not accounting people Mm -hmm. and had them read it and give me feedback and make sure I didn't use accounting lingo and accounting terms too much in there, you know, so that anybody could understand it. Even if they're just brand new getting started in business, they they could still understand What was being said in there, and you know, was it's not geared towards somebody who's been in business for twenty years, and you know, they know this stuff, but the newer people don't, and they need somebody to just help explain it.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that you guys were obviously doing a few things well. You got a wait list going on. Uh, Beyond that, what's next for your business? What else do you have planned for the future?
1: Well, next month we'll be moving into a building that is twice the size of our current building. So we did that 10 years ago. We bumped up twice the size, and now we're getting ready to do it again. And that's been pretty exciting. We bought a bar, and we're converting it into a, an accounting office. So it's getting a drastic facelift.
0: Very nice. <laughs> No, yeah, uh, no I... thoughts about uh, serving people alcohol while you do their taxes or anything like that?
1: Nope. <laughs> it, does, <laughs> it did not come with a liquor license. It just came with the building. <laughs> so, very nice. Yeah. So we're looking forward to getting in. We're very cramped in our current office, and I'm trying to hire a couple more staff members. I'm not sure where we're going to put them, so we're hoping time-wise everything will work out about the time we move into the new building. Mm-hmm. And then we then our wait list won't be quite so long because I'll have the ability to, to take on a few more at any one time.
0: There you go. If somebody listening is uh, inspired by something you said and would love to contact you, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Well, Jason, the best way is for them to reach out to me through my website, which is www.taxcoachforyou.com. And we use the number four. So taxcoach, the number four, y-o-u.com. And they can drop me a note. If they are in a big growth um, part of their their business and they're, they're starting to experience some pain because of their profit, I love to offer a free tax analysis where I have you send over your last two years income tax returns, and then I'll sit down and take a look at them and hop on either phone or Skype or Zoom or something like that, and we'll have a conversation about what I see on them. Sometimes I can find missed opportunities, mistakes, and I get to go back and amend and get you some money, which is kind of fun. Uh, then we can talk about, you know, the potential of moving forward into the real full-blown tax planning arena. Uh, We also have other books out there on my website. If they'll click on the books tab, we've got several that we give away and we just charge shipping and handling on it. So that's a nice way to kind of start getting into this whole idea of uh, tax planning, maximizing your deductions, that type of thing. Uh, There's also all kinds of other great free information on that website.
0: Very nice. Well, Diane, I thank you for your time. And I thank you for coming on the Intentionally Inspirational podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Talk to you next time.
1: Mm, Bye-bye.
0: All right. We are back to the show. Diane, thank you for your time. Appreciate that. Thank you for the great entertainment company and tips as well you guys want to check out the show notes for this episode, as always, you can go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 101 for this episode and get some of Diane's info and resources there. And as you guys go into your week, I want you to um, you know, really be thinking about the new year. It's right around the corner. I realize it's no different than the week before or this week, but it, it does something to people. It gives people hope for new beginnings. It gives people an opportunity and a reason to focus, you know what, if that works for you, if that gives you some positive benefit, take advantage of it. So appreciate your ear this week. Um, like some guests did last week, if you ever want to reach out to me, just shoot me an email, inspire at grayfoxbusiness.com. It's G-R-E-Y. Feel free. I really check it. I really respond. Pretty responsive with that stuff. And all of our social channels are on uh, the uh, website as well. So. Thanks. Talk to you next week. See you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Intentionally Inspirational. You can keep up with all of our new episodes on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We look forward to having you join us again next week for another great episode.